Let's read responsively Lord's Day 49 and Lord's Day 50, questions and answers 124 and 125. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backdock to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. What does the fourth petition mean? Give us this day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Now the scripture reading tonight from Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 to 11. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 to 11. Jesus teaching his disciples on how to pray, saying, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it together this evening. Well, if you're here with us last week, we considered that second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. And together we saw how Jesus is there calling us to recognize God's power and authority over all things. In that sense, we're asking God to take over everything. Take over my heart. Take over my home. Take over this whole world. That you would be all in all. And we saw that his kingdom is coming now by grace through the Holy Spirit working by means of the preaching of the gospel. Throughout this world, it's coming by grace right now. His kingdom is breaking in. And his kingdom shall come in glory in its fullness when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, God will be all in all. Tonight, we're considering the third and the fourth petitions of the Lord's Prayer together. Thy will be done, and give us this day our daily bread. Why are we looking at these two petitions together? Well, it is for this reason. Whenever we ask God for things that we want, even good things, we must also learn to say, not my will, but yours be done. You know, when we go to the Lord God Almighty asking him for things in prayer, even things as basic as our daily bread, we have to remember that we are not talking to a genie in a bottle who commands whatever we will. That's what the genie in the Disney movie Aladdin said to him. He said, your wish is my command. That is not the one true God that we are dealing with in prayer. Because nobody is his master. He is the king of kings who does whatever he pleases. And so, 
When we desire things and ask God for them in prayer, we must also learn to say, not my will, but your will be done. If this isn't according to your plan, then let your plan be. So we must subordinate, submit our will to the Lord's will in our lives, trusting that his goodness and his wisdom is far superior to ours. And that's why we're considering these two petitions together. And we'll have four points tonight, each one starting with the letter C. And so the first one is create, create. When we pray, thy will be done, we are asking God, in a sense, create in me a new heart, like David in Psalm 51. Why is that? Because of this, apart from the Spirit of God, taking out the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel says, nobody would ever renounce their own will in order to obey God's will. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 to 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, at enmity with him, at war with him. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And in that passage there, the Apostle Paul is saying that there are basically two kinds of people in this world. Those who are in the flesh, that is, under the dominion of sin, and those who are in the spirit, under the rule of the spirit, the the sphere of the spirit and his influence. Those two categories. The Bible teaches us that every single person is first born in the flesh with original sin in the state of total depravity, as we call it. As Genesis 8, 5 says, every thought and intention of man's heart is opposed to God's will continually. Not wanting to renounce his own will, but always seeking to disobey God in order to maintain his own will. We confess this in the canons of Dort, saying that without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, all people are neither willing nor able to return to God, to reform their distorted nature, or even to dispose themselves to such a reform. And so without the Holy Spirit working in a person's heart, calling them out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, they will not reform themselves. They will not obey God's will. But when the Spirit of God causes some to be born again, the Spirit creates a new heart in that person. We confess in the Canons of Dort that the Spirit infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead alive, the evil one good, the unwilling one willing, and the stubborn one compliant. He activates and strengthens the will so that like a good tree, it may be enabled to produce the fruits of good deeds. Therefore, the only way that anyone will begin to do God's will in life is first if God commands with power the recreation of that person's heart, infusing new qualities into their will, making their unwilling heart Willing. Related to this, St. Augustine of Hippo famously wrote this prayer to God, saying, O Lord, command what you will, 
and give what you command. It's a bit tricky, the language there. I'll try and explain it. In that first part of his sentence, the first line, Augustine admits that God has the authority and the right to command whatever he pleases. Command obedience to whatever his will is. Command what you will. But in the second line, Augustine recognizes that we will only obey God's will if he gives us the grace to do so. He must enable us to obey God's will. He must make our unwilling hearts willing hearts by, again, infusing new qualities into the will. Which is why in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 7, Jesus later says, after teaching about this prayer, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, only those who have been born again, those who have been renewed by the Spirit of God, are the ones that do the will of God. And those are the ones who will enter into the kingdom of God. Now, at that point, I need to pause and we need to remember and remind ourselves that Christians imperfectly obey God's will in this life. And yet, by the Spirit of God, they do begin to obey not just some, but all of God's commands. And that's what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 114, which says this, In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. And so, when we ask, thy will be done for us or for others, when we're asking for our children, Lord, thy will be done, or for the society around us, we're asking God, create in me or in them a new heart so that I or so that they can begin to live in accordance with all of your commandments, in accordance with your will. But the new creation of our heart and the infusion of the new qualities into our will doesn't totally eradicate our sin. It doesn't remove our sin struggle. Otherwise, we would only have to pray this once, right? Thy will be done, creating us a new heart, and boom, we're done. We can move on. We don't have to worry about our hearts not being aligned with God's will. But the fact that Jesus gave us this petition to pray it regularly, daily, is reminding us that once we are born again by the Spirit of God, our will is still not fully conformed to God and his will. Our will might be now at this point as Christians reoriented Godward towards him in obedience towards him, but it is not yet perfectly aligned with God's will in every aspect. And so in addition to creating me a new heart, we also are asking God with this petition, conform, conform my heart. Thy will be done means, Lord, conform my mind or my heart to your will. That's the second point, conform. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, saying, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, when the Apostle Paul speaks here about the world, At large, he's referring to the sinful state of humanity, that apart from God's grace, not only human individuals, but also human culture is naturally bent 
away from the will of God, opposed to him. Humanity doesn't want to be ruled by God's laws. Naturally, people want to rule themselves according to their own way. And this is perhaps best captured by the American classic song, My Way, by Frank Sinatra. I enjoy the song. I, I think it's a great song musically, but perhaps it is one of the most anti-Christian songs in existence. It is an anthem of the worst in American culture, narcissistic self-determination. Listen to how it, it concludes in the last stanza. Frank Sinatra says, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. This is a statement of self-ownership, that I own myself, and that is what is most important. In comparison to Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one, right? What is your only hope in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong to Jesus, my faithful Savior? Very different. Sinatra continues saying, to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. Uh, again, here Sinatra is saying, I don't bow down to anybody. I feel what I want and I say what I want because I am my own king, essentially. No one rules me. And then Sinatra finishes boldly saying, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Now, Jason King, a professor of NYU's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music, says, My Way was written as a totem for a certain kind of American bravado. You could read My Way as a kind of metaphor for the World War II generation that Frank Sinatra represented, looking back at the 20th century history and concluding in a cosmic defiance. You see, this is the culture that we live in here in the United States of America with this bravado, this cosmic defiance, saying, my way. I run my life according to whatever my heart says, whatever I desire, whatever I feel, whatever I think. And yet when we pray, thy will be done, we should be asking God to uproot that evil thinking in our heart that says, my way or the highway. We're asking God to wake up our sleepy conscience, to open our eyes to see what is good, true, and acceptable, not according to us, but according to our creator, the one who made us, the one who saved us. This petition is us saying, God, have it your way and make me willing to follow in your way. Contrary to Sinatra's song, with this petition, we are saying this, Lord, who am I? What is my lot? I belong to Jesus. I have been bought to speak truth, not just what my heart feels. Let mine be words of one who kneels. At the end of my life, let the record show that I took the blows and did it your way. Yes, it was your way. That's what we're praying with. Thy will be done. Now, as we think of that, how does God conform our minds to his will? How is it that he makes that happen and effectuate that change in our hearts well often it is through the very act of praying itself that god conforms our will to his own as we talk with him engaging in his word the spirit persuades our conscience of what is good true acceptable what is the will of god you know we've actually talked about this even just last night 
in our book study as we've been studying through Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. This is one of the benefits that he lists for the practice of praying through a passage of Scripture. He says this, Since it is so important to pray in conformity with God's will, can you have any greater assurance that you are praying the will of God than when you are praying the word of God? What better way to discern God's will and to conform your prayers to God's will than to pray God's word? And as we put that into practice, you know, really coming to God's word and letting his word shape and inform the content and structure of our prayers more and more the Spirit will conform our heart to the will of God. Now let's move on to the fourth petition here with our third point, care. Care. When we ask for our daily bread each day, we are asking God the Father to care for us by providing for us what we truly need in life. But that raises a question, doesn't it? Even Jesus himself mentioned it when he said that your father already knows what you need before you ask him. So make your prayers short, right? Doesn't God already care for us? Doesn't he already provide for us? Then why ask him for our basic necessities in life, like daily bread, when Jesus also tells us in Matthew 6, don't be anxious about food, clothing, and shelter, because your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So then why ask God for the things that he promises to give us anyways? Why? Think of this. If we get ordinary blessings without asking God for them, how will our heart conclude? Or what will our heart conclude in that? What will we think? We will wrongly conclude that we have earned them apart from God. We will conclude that we are self-sufficient and self-reliant And God wants us to ask him so that when we receive the gifts, we receive them with humility and thanksgiving. Pastor Timothy Keller has some insight here. He says this, God invites us to do so and promises to answer prayers because he is good and our loving Heavenly Father. Also, God often waits to give us a blessing until you have prayed for it. Why? Good things that we do not ask for will usually be interpreted by our hearts as the fruit of our own wisdom and diligence. Gifts from God that are not acknowledged as such are deadly to the soul because they thicken the illusion of self-sufficiency that leads to overconfidence and sets us up for failure. This is really convicting to me. I don't always ask God for my basic daily necessities. I'm not every morning asking him for the basic necessities in life, the food and shelter and clothing. I assume that they will be there because all throughout my life they've always been there. But how does that leave my soul? It leaves my soul less grateful to God for those things and more self-aggrandizing, more self-reliant, self-sufficient and less dependent upon God. You see, God wants us to ask for these things. And so this petition helps remind us that we are to recognize God as our provider and our sustainer, even for those basic necessities of life, that we might live in greater thankfulness to God for all that he gives us. Think about this, that the good thing that you currently want in life, maybe there's a petition that you've been asking for, something you've been longing for, 
the thing that your heart just wants, say a newborn baby or obedient children or a loving spouse to commit to you, whatever it is, think of this. Maybe maybe you you don't have it yet because you haven't asked for it. God often waits to give a blessing until you have prayed for it. Again, why? Because he wants you to see it as a gift. It's given to you from him after you've requested and not as something that you've earned by your own diligence or by your own wisdom. Sometimes we don't have because we have not asked, as Jesus taught us. But what if, what if we have asked? And you still haven't received. What if you've asked multiple times and you still haven't received that thing? What then? And that's our fourth point. And this is where we see the two petitions come together really beautifully. When we link these two petitions together, we find that Jesus is teaching us here to ask God to calm our hearts, to receive whatever he wills for us. And that's the fourth point, calm, calm. It may be that what you seek and ask for from God is a good thing, according to his moral will, his commandments. But for some reason only known to God, it might not be part of God's decreed will, his secret will for you. In other words, it might be a good thing that your heart longs for and is asking for, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is part of God's plan for you to have that thing. Here are a couple examples. Think of a Christian, a hypothetical Christian in a Chinese prison, literally asking God for his daily bread. And yet he is starving and starving unto his death. Is his request good, right, and according to the will of God? Well, yes, it is aligned with God's moral will. But it might not be part of God's decreed will. His plan for him. God might have it in his plans, in his decreed will, that that Christian man dies of starvation in prison as a martyr for Christ. Or think of the Apostle Paul, who asked for the thorn in his flesh to be removed three times, which was probably a, some kind of chronic disease in his body that plagued him. It was a good request. A request for healing and strength bodily. It was yet not God's decreed will for him. His decreed will for Paul was to suffer and to find strength in God's grace, which is sufficient. Or thirdly, think of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 26, who in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out three times in prayer, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me referring to the suffering that was before him. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then again saying, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And the third time he said the same words, Matthew tells us. Was it a good request of Jesus? Yes, yes it was. He was saying, if there is another way within your moral will, another way for me to save sinners from judgment that is still in accordance with your holy commandments in obedience to you, if there's another way for me to drain this cup that is filled with your wrath, deserved for them, if there is another way besides me drinking every last drop in dark agony on the cross for them, then please let it be. 
It was a good request of Jesus, a good desire, and yet it was not part of God's decreed will. Ultimately, Jesus submitted his good desire to the will of God the Father for him. In that moment through prayer, through prayer, think of that as we mentioned earlier, through prayer the Spirit persuaded the human will of Christ to be aligned with the divine will of Christ. And then he got up, was arrested, tried, wrongly accused, condemned, and crucified for our sins. And what does Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 53? Verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. You see, even when we make good requests, good requests as simple and good as give us today our daily bread, we should always pair it with yet not as I will, but as you will. Thy will be done. In that sense, we're asking God to steady our heart to receive whatever he sends our way asking him, Lord, calm my anxious soul, even though I want this thing, which is something that is good. Please give me the confidence to trust that whatever you will for my life is always absolutely best and the loving thing for me, even if it breaks my heart and it feels like death, it is still good and right and loving because it's coming from you. And we can do so with confidence because the Son of God did so first for us. He submitted his will to the fathers, willingly going through hell for us so that we might have the hope of victory on the other side of all pain and loss in this life. For even if God doesn't give you what you want today on earth, we can trust that in the glory of the new creation with Christ, we will have all things bright and glorious to enjoy with him in the resurrection. And with that hope, we should pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, yet thy will be done. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, to inform and shape our own prayer life. And there is so much beauty and richness and complexity even in the simplicity of this prayer that jesus gave us and lord we we tonight have only begun to mine the riches that are deeply hidden within this prayer lord we ask that the truth that we have discovered together that we have considered from your word that you would impress that upon our hearts that we would be most thankful and grateful for the salvation that we have in christ that he willingly submitted his desires over to you and suffered in our place in order to bring us into glory with you on the other side of all pain and loss and suffering. Lord, we thank you that we belong to Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would make us each day uh, more grateful and thankful and make us into a praying people, submitting always to your will for us, trusting that you are good and our faithful, loving Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.